Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition. And for us, this waffle is all about sharing stories and hopefully giving you a lot of insights into things that are valuable to you and help you become an empowered, confident and super excited person when it comes to all things food. So this next guest is in the stream of helping you be empowered with knowledge, um, but also some confidence in how to reach out. And it is a very special episode on all things female health uh, and something very, very close to my heart. So we have been um, inundated with requests to find someone for our waffle that is really about how to practice around exercise and movement uh, and recovery when it comes to pregnancy and postnatally after birth what that recovery can look like and some some considerations when it comes to exercise, um, some complications that can happen and how to recover from those. The reason it is so close to my heart and I've always been really hesitant to cover this story because um, it's shrouded in a lot of shame for me. Uh, It's been a very emotional journey, something that um, has taken me a lot of years, literally years to get through. Um, I had a birth with my first bub five years ago that did not go to plan. Uh, It started off with um, meconium in the waters when my waters broke and from there it was very uh, monitored and a little bit more invasive than I would have previously have liked and um, there was good reason for that. It was, you know, based on medical need Um, but it did mean that I had complications afterwards um, that did impact my body. Uh, I'd had a very long recovery and I also was in a place where I didn't feel ready or I guess safe to reach out for help um, when I should have. Uh, I didn't have a very great knowledge around what can happen post-birth, what's normal, what's common and the difference between that. Um, But I also just accepted that all the symptoms that I was having were just things that happened to people who had babies and just something to work through and live with rather than something that I should pay attention to and reach out for help with. Um, And so I did just accept it. I did just kind of hide a little bit and not necessarily face what I was feeling um, as well as I would have liked. Uh, And if I can save someone else feeling shame or confusion or anxiety around this very thing through this podcast, then I'll be really, really happy and proud. And um, I hope that we cover all these topics in this podcast that help you feel more confident moving forward, whether you're someone who is considering having a baby, plan on having a baby at some point in your life, currently pregnant or with a young bub or planning future kids and you know you've already had one or two or three whatever it may be um i hope you enjoy this podcast um we cover lots of topics that to be honest i wish were covered more i think so much of what we learn about in pregnancy is all about pregnancy and birth but we don't necessarily cover enough around what afterbirth is like, what um, symptoms there are, the impact on our mental health, the impact on our bodies, and just how many symptoms we can have that impact so much about our identity and our confidence. And um, yeah, hopefully this discussion is something that's taken place. I talked to Becky after this podcast and, you know, we both said, you know, when, when are the words incontinence and prolapse and pelvic floor going to be talked about more? When is that going to become something that isn't shied away from? When will someone stop, you know, kind of tweaking and kind of going, pulling back as soon as you say um, anything to do with those words? And, you know, I think thinking about our journey with, say, menstrual cycle, there is more discussion around that. People do talk about their periods and their symptoms and how that impacts their mood and their training now. And hopefully in the years to come, prolapse and incontinence joins that because, yeah, these things are common. They're not normal though. And I think that's the difference that we need to hammer home today is these things can happen. You will hear about all the things of the positive and the negative of having bubs in this podcast, but there's so much behind that. And you will learn how to reach out. You will learn how to feel empowered to get the support that you need at that time to have a really clear and individual plan moving forward through pregnancy and beyond that is right for you and at the speed that you need it to be at and the exact recovery that you need it to be. So enjoy. I know you're going to love listening to Becky. Becky is honestly, I'm not even 
exaggerating when I say she's changed my life for the better. Um, I feel very honored to have worked with her and call her a friend as well. Um, and I'm just really privileged to be able to share her voice today. So thank you so much for joining along. Please reach out if you have any questions after this podcast. And I appreciate you all. And I hope all of your journey is a good one uh, and really looking forward to the chat that follows from here. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us on the Compete Waffle, Becky. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you for asking me. Oh, it's a pleasure because for once we actually get to do one in person. I've been doing Zoom podcasts for ages and so it's so lovely to actually sit here in person with someone and talk to you. <laughs> oh, it's great and I'm really excited because this is one of my favourite topics. So I'm really excited to share this with you guys and uh, yeah, can't wait to get started. Yeah, you can really tell. So for those playing at home, the reason why I've asked Becky in is for a few reasons. Number one, it's probably the first time I've actually felt mentally ready to cover this topic. Um, it's been a really big one personally for me, but also we've had lots of people request um, someone just like Becky to come in and really discuss those topics that I don't think get discussed enough um, and really make something that is so common a little bit more um, spoken about, but also accepted and make everyone feel a little bit more empowered in this space. So this is a very female-focused podcast, but I'm really hopeful that there are some men listening, um, particularly in the movement space. I think there's a really big part to play where everyone has a bit of knowledge around what happens in the female body through pregnancy, um, but also postnatally as well. So thank you so much for giving up your time. No, absolute pleasure. I mean, I think around this topic, um, there's a lot of fear um, that can be associated with exercise and pregnancy and then also not knowing what to do after pregnancy and how to get back into exercise especially when it's a massive part of your life and mm. how important it can be so hopefully we can cover some things today that kind of break down what um you know the advice and guidance is and, and what that actually means to you as a as a woman and you know to your partner or, or to any health professionals mm. that are out there as well so yeah absolutely can you give us a bit of background becky i think most of us go into different parts of our career because of self-interest and um discoveries um that we've gone through ourselves what's been your journey through i guess first of all becoming a physio but then leaning into that women's physio um niche yeah no it's a good question i i started um, many many years ago back in the UK I qualified as a physio and I went into sports I mean I'm a big sports fan and big exerciser and so the natural lead for me was to go into sports physio um, and then um, I got married and, and, and had my first baby and had a really difficult birth with my first uh, baby and kind of was floundering around trying to find information and not knowing where to go and that actually led me to make a choice in my my job and my career to, to train um, in women's physio and what I've managed to do is combined my my love of sport and exercise and all of my background in sports physio and bring it into women's health physio and uh, that allows me to uh, impart knowledge to women um, once they're, they're pregnant or after pregnancy to, to, to give that knowledge. So yeah, I feel very fortunate to be able to be in that position because I think when you have good information as a woman, uh, I think you can use that and, and, and it empowers us to do you know, what we want to do. So mm, Absolutely. And I think from the way that you practice and the way you interact with all the women you work with, you can tell you're coming from a really personal place, um, but also one filled with empathy yeah. and an understanding of what's really happening in a pregnant mum's life, but also in a new mum's life. Um, and for that, I thank you because you honestly changed my life um for the better I, I was absolutely also in a place of floundering for answers but also very very confused on what my body was doing and um, how to then respond to that so I think what we'll do for this podcast is really flow in a place of 
a journey from pregnancy all the way through postnatal and hopefully that really resonates with those listening. So I want to start with pregnancy. I think this is a place where, um, you know, from the start of like the first trimester, it really depends so much on the individual and your symptoms. You know, all my pregnancies were very different. And so my um, abilities in movement were very different as a result as well. But um, I'd love to hear from you in terms of what we should be thinking about when it comes to movement and exercise while we're pregnant and how that might change through the different trimesters and different stages of pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um Oh, I mean, getting pregnant is super exciting. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, we're growing a little human inside of us, so uh, there's lots of excitement associated with that. But also as well, I think there's a little bit of um, worry, um, you know, about what to do in the pregnancy around exercise. And in and, and actual fact, um, the advice from the medical community, unless you have... A, a really uh, medical, a, a bad medical condition or a contraindication that you can't exercise, um, there is absolutely no reason why you can, can't continue to exercise. And in actual fact, it's really encouraged uh, by the, the medical community to exercise because it has so many benefits for us as the woman and also for, um, for the babies as well. So I, I think the worry is like if you're a mm-hmm. runner, do you keep running? Of course, you keep running and you can run. You're obviously going to modify what you do, but you can keep running. If you're a crossfitter, you can keep crossfitting, and but you will modify through in, in those trimesters as you get a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, if, you, if you're a yoga, swimmer, um, any of those things, you can keep doing them because in actual fact, we need to have that exercise for, for lots and lots of different reasons. So there's a little bit of um, you know, research around that. So mm-hmm. there's evidence to say for, for a mum, uh, obviously great for our cardiovascular health, brilliant for our psychological health. It really helps us to sleep. And many of us <laughs> who've been pregnant will know <laughs> that that sleep issue becomes a bit of a problem. It can really help to assist us in labour because labour is actually quite a, you know, it can be very long and tricky. So if you're fit and healthy going into that labour, it's, it's a great thing, position to be in. Um, and the other thing is it helps us maintain a, a good body weight through the pregnancy and avoids the, the, the higher risk of getting uh, gestational diabetes. Um, so uh, there's also uh, good evidence to say that the babies come out at a good weight mm. um, and that, that you're not going to get any um, kind of blood pressure or hypertensive disorders as well. So lots and lots of great reasons to keep exercising and um, not to stop, but, but definitely to modify. And um, for all of the health professionals out there working in this field, if you're working with somebody who's, who's pregnant, um, the first trimester, you're mainly dealing with an issue of fatigue. Mm. <laughs> was the main yeah, area. Fatigue really... and nausea, it's pleasant. <laughs> you're growing a baby. Um, Sorry, Becky, continue. Okay, we just yeah. paused for some dog barking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, the nausea and vomiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah so good. Fatigue. You often don't feel like exercising, and that's okay. It's okay. Um, but actually, when you're getting into your second trimester, you start to feel a little better, and you start to have a little bit more energy. And so you can keep doing what you normally do, um, and, and that's good. Um, and then into your third trimester, you're kind of modifying down a bit. I mean, one of the problems when you're running is possibly that you just need to keep going for, to the toilet <laughs> and you can't run because you have to keep stopping um, and, and that's fine. And uh, you may feel a little bit uncomfortable um, when you're running and that's also a good point to modify down. Um, certainly when you're lifting any weights in the gym, you're going to lift a little less and that's going to vary between individuals depending on what they normally do. Um, but absolutely no reason why you can't keep doing what you do yeah great as you get into that final trimester what you tend to do is a little bit more um walking swimming pilates type of work that what that's what feels a little Mm. bit more comfortable um but the recommendation is just keep moving keep doing what you do um at slightly less intensity um so and what kind of symptoms should you look out for i guess if you know you're in the second trimester and you're like okay continue with exercise okay but is there some symptoms that you should really go okay maybe that's my cue to reduce or change or adapt what i'm currently yeah. doing so if you're getting very very out of breath 
um, that's one of the, the issues where you, you probably, if you're not actually exerting mm. yourself too much, that's one of the areas where you have to be a little bit careful. If you are um, getting pain mm. when you exercise, um, and again, you know, you're not entirely sure where that pain is coming from, then you, you just have to reduce down. If that pain continues, you may want to see a physio about that. Mm. If you're getting any bleeding when you exercise, again, you probably need to see your obstetrician regarding that. Um, and if you're getting any dizziness at all when you exercise, mm. um, those are the things I would look for when, when you're doing anything outside mm. or inside. Um, there are a few guidelines around exercising when you're pregnant. Um, you certainly don't want to be exercising in excessive heat mm -hmm. or humidity. Um, you definitely don't want to be um, exercising at high altitude if you're born at low altitude <laughs> don't go climbing in Everest um, and you definitely don't want to be exceeding um, 90% uh, so going to exceed 90% of your max heart rate okay. so the general advice is you keep your exertion around 6 to 7 out of 10 mm -hmm. so you can have a conversation but you're not going to be doing these you know, intense rep sets that you might have done in your training when you're not pregnant um, you want to avoid really heavy lifting um, but again that's going to vary depending on what you, you do in, mm -hmm. in, your, in your workouts um, and any risk of collision or falling um so if you ride a horse it's probably not a good idea to be riding your horse you know late into the pregnancy if you're an ice skater water skier <laughs> or a surfer as you get mm. into the later stages um if you play soccer hockey or martial arts or rugby certainly wouldn't be recommending those kind of sports yeah. later on in those pregnancies yeah, um so yeah um but there are absolute definite reasons why you wouldn't exercise from a contraindication and the the doctors will normally let you know if you've had any uh signs of preterm labor you've mm -hmm. got any uh blood pressure issues you've got a, a incompetent cervix um you've got more than two babies in there you've got triplets or, or quads <laughs> um and uh if you've had any uh issues with the growth of your of the baby as well fantastic so. that's so helpful and additional to um training exercise movement are there some things that we should be doing i know you know the talk of things like pelvic floor comes in um the perineal massage i know we've had a question on this um before our podcast aired um so i'd love to kind of go through okay we're doing our movement or our usual exercise and i think that was a really nice point you made because i think no like this is the first time really we've had so much comparison when it comes to other pregnant women uh on social media and um, comparing ourselves is something that I think we all do but you know sometimes we can't help scrolling and the more we interact with pregnant people on our feed the more the algorithm shows us pregnant people and so we'll see pregnant people moving or doing different exercises and um, I know myself I started to self-doubt what I was doing or um, or I should be doing more or they're able to do that why can't I do that and so I think your point around doing what's right for you but also what you're previously doing prior to um, becoming pregnant is a really nice um, point so I think moving Moving into now that pelvic floor stuff what does that actually mean and what are we aiming to do um, when we're recommended to work on our pelvic floor while we're pregnant and beyond yeah it's a it's a great question um so pelvic floor is interesting because probably before being pregnant you've never really thought about your pelvic floor <laughs> it's just done its job for us it's you know ticked away um but when we become pregnant we do, uh, we, we're actually given a message about our pelvic floor from mm -hmm. health professions a little bit more. Um, and actually we start to worry about, um, you know, leakage and wetting our knickers and those, those things. And so in actual fact, in the pregnancy itself, the advice is to complete regular pelvic floor exercises um, uh, through the pregnancy to, to help with any issues with any incontinence, but also to help postnatally as well so it's almost priming the pelvic floor to be ready um, for that postnatal mm. period as well now what we do know in the, the research that's out there that actually one in five of women um, don't actually know how to contract their pelvic floor or actually aren't aware that they're not contracting their pelvic floor well um, and so with that consideration there is the side that should you see a, a women's health physio in in your pregnancy 
Um, and I'm going to be a bit biased here, and I'm going to say yes. Um, but it's not an absolute, and the guide there is no guideline to say that that's what you have to do. But if you're not sure, and you don't know what you're doing around your pelvic floor, I would suggest having a, a prenatal assessment to check on those things, mm. um, just to make sure that you're, you're going along well. And that will really help in that postnatal period, because hopefully if you've established a nice relationship with a, the, with a physio that's looking after you, and she'll be involved with, with helping you afterwards as well. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. Fantastic. And we did have a question about the perineal massage, um, whether it reduced the risk of, risk of tears um, in labour. Are you able to talk a bit around that in terms of doing the massage while pregnant, but also maybe in labour as well? Yeah. What that means? Another great question. And I think it's a thing that we worry about a lot um, around injury associated with the floor mm. um, and so the evidence is there to say that if you are completing perineal massage in your third trimester and then in your actual labor itself completing some perineal massage with some hot compress or some hot flannels and towels mm. there is a reduced risk of tearing in that actual labor stage but the evidence is oh. all right just pausing for the dog again, and off we go. So, yeah, back to perineal massage. What a pause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, so we're talking about the evidence. Yes, yeah, so there is mm. some evidence to say that it, it helps. Um, so if you are, are, you know, in that stage, if you're in your mm. third trimester or you're concerned about that as an issue, um, there there is some evidence to say that that can be of help. Mm. So, um yeah, I think uh, as long as you're not finding it too onerous, or you're, you mm. know you can do, I think it's a it's a really recommended thing um, mm. to continue to do right up until the actual birth. Yeah, that's a nice point of transition now because I think um, this next section is probably going to take most of our time um, because it is. I always feel like we do get a lot of messages around pregnancy and um, some things. Obviously, not as much as I would like, but we are quite well supported in pregnancy. And then we kind of focus on birth a lot. So let's talk about birth and um, then move on to a really big section, which is that postnatal recovery. So in birth, um, I think it's always nice to have a plan. <laughs> but us type A perfectionists are realizing that everything doesn't always go to plan. Uh, and we've both come from a place of our first birth experiences not necessarily being our ideal. Um, and so, yeah, we might share a little bit of our personal story in some of this recommendation, but we'll see where the conversation goes. Um, so, birth, what are the things that we need to be considering here? Um, but also, how can our birth experience change then our recovery? Yeah, I think... Um, and And this is my clinical experience... Mm. I think the less plan you have, <laughs> the better, mm. because I think if you have a plan and it doesn't go according to plan to that plan, mm. you feel you've failed, you feel you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve, you feel that that locus of control was taken away from you. Um, but in actual fact, the best thing to do is have a general idea of how you, how you want it to go, but just expect the un, it's going mm. to it might roll another way mm. um, so if you're aiming for a vaginal birth um, fantastic and obviously most of us are aiming for that um, in, in most circumstances if everybody's healthy um, but it may be that the baby's in the wrong position or the baby's not progressing or you're not dilating and that's where your c-section is taking you um, again you know some people have to have an elective c-section and, and that's okay too but i think to have a mindset amongst the type a's i know this is <laughs> difficult to try to not have to set a plan because it will change and even i mean i'm sure alicia will attest to this every single birth itself is different so you you have a you know a rough idea about what you how you want it to go but don't have a fixed idea mm. um because the the less fixed you are the more you can go oh yeah that's okay i'll go with that or i'll i'll go this way um and trust in the medical professionals that are looking after you as well um it's very difficult the first time i think it's very difficult because mm. you just don't know mm. um and um i think uh, uh yeah so i think that in answer to your question 
don't plan to have a plan. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but so. it, and it's not saying that don't be informed. I think like that's part of that yeah. um, empowerment thing of okay, yeah, you can know uh, enough to make you feel like you can make decisions and feel very autonomous in those decisions while still trusting the people around you to make the best decisions for you, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what? Let's talk about first of all the types of birth. Um, and how they may impact, but then also those complications or those things yeah. that can happen during and after. So for me, there are three types of birth. There is your vaginal delivery, there's an emergency C-section, mm-hmm. and then there's an elective C-section, and, they can, and those two C-sections can be very different mm. in how people recover. Mm. Um, so vaginal birth um, is um, obviously when the baby comes through the birth canal, um, and with that process, a woman's body is absolutely amazing, mm. that the stretch that happens is about 200 times more than we normally hold. Mm. So that is an area of our body that stretches the absolute most. Mm. And it's helped enormously by hormones and um, hormones that are, that are pushing that kind of relaxation and that stretch as, as we're in labor. Mm. But obviously from that process, we can get injuries, um, and some of them are minor. Um, you know, small graze tears. You know, grade one tears, um, grade two tears. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them are a little bit more major. Um, and with those tears, uh, it comes a little bit more intervention from from the doctors. But also, it's a massive psychological impact. I think of from what what happens in that process. Um, so a grade three and a grade four tear um, can be a little bit more concerning around uh, incontinence and issues around that. And that's why, especially if you have that kind of tear, you need to see somebody to follow up, um, a women's health physio to help you through that process. Um, there is another tear that happens that, so we're talking about tears here in the perineal area, but there's also what's called an elevator avulsion tear, where the actual front part of the pelvic floor muscles um, pulls away from the front of the pubic bone. And that can happen if you have a, a tricky birth or a bub gets a bit stuck. Um, and that again can have an impact on the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, so vaginally, we have a little bit of, of, of to deal with and then also the issue around prolapse as well and we can go into a bit more detail about that and then from a c-section point of view um, if you've had an emergency c-section then you have been laboring and then you have an incision on top of that and that's a lot and a lot of recovery to, to manage and then an uh, uh, elective c-section slightly less aggressive because it's just an incision where you've managed to sleep the night before mm. managed to eat well and then you can come in to have that that surgery so mm. i definitely see in the clinic a, a difference in recovery from an emergency to an elective and i think there's a there's a big psychological element because electively you know you it's the plan that's what's going to happen when mm. whereas obviously with an emergency you didn't know what was happening and you know you, you then ended up with an emergency C so that can have an impact as well mm. so um, recovery from both of those can be um, very different and again in that process it's very very helpful to see a professional about that recovery and what that means to you and what that means uh, for, for you moving forward and, and for you returning back to sport so mm. vaginal birth elective C and an emergency C. I love hearing those three separated because mm-hmm. I think so often it's either cesarean or vaginal and yeah. that's it. But yeah, you, it, it totally makes sense to separate that um, cesarean birth because yeah, as you said, the experience is so different but also the trauma is so different depending on that experience as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the doctors separate it. Because yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I think I don't think I have it. <laughs> I think the yeah, incision yeah. for them yeah. is the incision but yeah. I think it's certainly from, from a woman's point mm. of view, I they're for me, they're three different yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And you mentioned, um, uh, obviously, that births uh, the tear side and then mentioning the prolapse, uh, which we'll come back to. So um, what is a prolapse and how can that happen and why is yeah, that? Yeah, so a, a prolapse is essentially stretch that occurs. Um, you know, and I talked, I just said before mm. about the amount of stretch that, that, that is put on our system when we're birthing. Um, and what happens in that process that we can 
overstretch tissue and, and um, cause it to not fully rebound or, or, or fully come back. You know, imagine an elastic band and we stretch and we stretch and we stretch it and most elastic bands will come back to the center. Mm. But if you keep stretching the elastic band beyond that end point, Sorry, I'm not very good at physics, but um, and then that recoil back of the elastic band is never quite as it as it was. So in our pelvis, we've got three main organs. So we've got our bladder, um, and we've got our rectum, and we've got the uterus and the vagina, and they're all supported by a lot of connective tissue. So we've got higher up in our pelvis, we've got support, we've got support midway, and then we've got the pelvic floor underneath, mm. and all of that gets stretched in the birth. But m most of the time, that recalls back really nicely with the help of hormones, a little bit of time, and some, some muscle work. But sometimes that recoil doesn't happen. And so what, ha what, what ends up happening is that the organs, so the, the bladder, the rectum, or, or the uterus, are drawn down a little bit, come down a little bit into the pelvis area, and because the pelvis is a bowl shape, mm. um, if you if you if you sat a marble right in the middle, the marble would come right to the centre, which is where the vagina sits, mm. and so that stretch tends to occur and settle in the middle. So you'll feel a little bit of maybe the bladder wall prolapsing, or you might feel the rectum wall prolapsing, or you may feel a little bit of the cervix prolapsing. And they can all happen together or they can happen individually. So you can just have a, a bladder um, a wall or anterior wall prolapse, or you can just have a, a posterior wall or rectum prolapse, or you can have all three. Now, every single woman who has a baby naturally will have a degree of stretch on their mm. system. That is normal totally normal um, but it's the recoup of that and how much that that recoups back so you have four grades medical people love <laughs> to grade yeah everything. yeah we're just putting numbers <laughs> in again <laughs> so you have four grades you have a stage one which is very normal or grade one and then a stage two a stage three and a stage four and the threes and the fours are the, are the more extreme your ones and your twos are are not as but you can have symptoms from a grade one or a stage one um, uh, sorry, sorry, from a stage two, you can have symptoms from a stage two, you may not have any symptoms at all. And your symptoms that you get are normally a feeling of a, a little bit of a bulge there. So you might have a shower and you feel something down there's a little bit of a bulge. Um, and you feel like when you've been on your feet all day that there's a little bit of heaviness, a little bit of pressure down there. You may feel a little bit of irritation. Everybody's going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Um, and if you notice that and that feels different from when you were before you're pregnant again you want to go and see somebody about that and and that's a either would be your, your obstetrician or gynae and that but they've normally referred to a women's health physio sure and, and if you do have those symptoms and you know go and see a physio to get that assessed and um, reviewed what are the um I guess treatment options or the path forward I think we've yeah. had you know these big conversations that I'd love to share with everyone yeah I, I, I think the first thing is that if you if you feel that something's different about your body um and normally in your first six weeks after having a baby you're just mm. in a big blur and you, you don't know what's going on and you're trying to work it all out and and those symptoms may not be very noticeable mainly because we're bathed in a lot of hormone but as we progress into that kind of post six weeks, we mm. start to maybe do a little bit more. We might get out doing a walk or something. Um, you start to feel those symptoms. Then I definitely would say to check in with a health mm. professional, either your obstetrician or or a women's health physio. Um, and from a physio point of view, the first point of call with these things is always what we call conservative management. So conservative management is mean there's no intervention from mm. anything surgical at all. Mm. Um, and the, the first thing what would, ha would happen is you'd explain your symptoms to the physio and she would then... Um, asked to do an internal examination now that sounds scary doesn't it <laughs> I, I, I'm talking from experience and yes like it is definitely one of the reasons why I put off so long of too long uh, before I did this so I was like okay let's cover this because I think it can sound really um, vulnerable yeah uh, in a time when you're already feeling very vulnerable and embarrassed or confused um, so yeah what does that involve and um, yeah yeah just the process, I guess. so 
internal examination medical term sounds horrible <laughs> but in in essence it's it's like having a pap smear so we've all had to have a pap smear um but it's a pap smear without the speculum so there's no instrument so that's really good to know um, and it's normally just uh, the one or two fingers of the physio herself and, and, and she has to check internally to know what it is that you know we're dealing with um, but it shouldn't it should have no pain um, she should explain it to you talk you through it um, and just go through it very very slowly and um, it's very very helpful for you to know as the woman what it is that you're dealing with um, and then what to do with that mm. from there um, so I really hope that um, coming to see a women's physio is is not as scary as maybe it sounds um, but it can give you so much information that information is so helpful to, to empower you to work out what to do with that information and then how to improve your symptoms and, and to mm. go from there mm. but also the reassurance to know that it's it's this happens to lots of women and you're not you know you haven't done anything wrong it's not that you know you did anything wrong in your birth or your pregnancy it's just sometimes these things happen mm. and um, so from that checkup um, the physio will normally look to go to work with you with pelvic floor exercises and the evidence around reducing symptoms of prolapse and pelvic floor exercise is actually really strong mm -hmm. so that's it yay mm -hmm. yay yeah. so we don't actually have to have a huge amount of inter intervention we do need to do a little bit of work on our pelvic floor but it means that we can actually with a little bit of work conservatively really improve our symptoms mm. the other option if the symptoms continue to be an issue or you're really not quite noticing you know the complete settling is the use of a of a pessary and a pessary has something that women have used for hundreds of years hundreds of years they've been around because essentially the reason why we get prolapse is because we're upright mm. and walking around we're bipedal and so that gravity pull downwards is, is there after having babies and so women have been putting support up in their vagina for hundreds of years luckily now <laughs> we have much better equipment and we have and we use uh, silicon um, uh, in, uh, little silicon pessaries that are inert and, and we you know they're, they're very durable mm. very easy to clean um, and so they can be a great support for helping women with their symptoms of also helping uh, you know the, those amongst us who love to exercise returning to that exercise without having those big symptoms as well all these words I had never thought of until I started working with you Becky <laughs> Now, I think one important piece that it's really it would be lovely to mention is um, the, and you've definitely drawn on it, is the mental health side and the stress and confusion identity, all these words that come out, particularly in those initial weeks, but ongoing, particularly if there has been trauma or complications or something that's happened where it may not have been planned or it may be um, changing lives. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like... Having a baby is enormous, amazing, incredible. So many words I can think of. Mm. You, you kind of you have this this amazing high, and you mm. also have amazing lows, and that is normal, and that is okay. Um, and I think what's really difficult is that we have an expectation, especially I feel, if you're an athlete, and we're talking about we're talking about this earlier. Mm. If you're an athlete, I don't mean a necessarily you're a pro athlete but you might be exercising four or five times a week you might be out there you know competing in triathlon and doing running races you might be in crossfit competitions we have an expectation that we are strong and we can handle anything and I, I, actually i think the reality of, of having gone through the pregnancy and the birth um, and sometimes these complications arise mm. is they're very very confronting because actually it's it, it doesn't matter how strong you are uh, you know in your body there's a psychological element that is huge Me mentally you're now responsible for this little person in front of you mm. um, and you're also dealing with different changes in your body um, and that's difficult and um, 
finding the right people to support you is, is huge you know having a good support from your family from your partner from the medical people that are around you and and uh, hopefully they're not dismissing you and just going oh you'll be all right um, and having a bit of a plan about how to sort you know or work through your your, your issues mm. that you have is is very important and sometimes um we I feel maybe power through, mm. keep trying to power through, and um, we actually forget to put ourselves up on that priority list. And it's all about the baby. You know, when we, when we once you have a baby, all of the checks are about the baby. There might be a little, how are you doing? Yep, I'm good. Um, there may be a bit of intervention around postnatal depression, but apart from that, there is nothing out there through Medicare or, or through you know a standard um, uh, kind of postnatal care that's available. Um, so I think as women, uh, we kind of think, oh yeah, we'll just go, we'll keep going, we'll get on with it. Um, but actually it's absolutely okay to ask for help and actually it's really important to ask for help. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I remember messaging you after Mabel and like, hey Becky, I think I'm ready. And you're like, how, how many weeks is it? I'm like, oh, two or three. I just really want to start exercising. You're like, and just lay down, Alicia. You, <laughs> you can absolutely wait till the six weeks, please. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really important message of having people on your side that um, can hold you back in a really positive way yeah. of being patient. And um, as Becky said from the very start, all three births for me have been very, very different um, and a completely different experience. So the last thing I want to do in this podcast is make everyone feel like, oh, well, you're definitely going to end up with a tear and prolapse is definitely going to happen and all these types of things because that's absolutely things that I want you to be aware of. And I know Becky does too, because being aware of the symptoms and knowing about these things will help you on a path if they do happen, but they're not guaranteed either. You can, you know, birth is definitely not something to fear. It's just that thing to be empowered by. There are many, many, Mm. many, many women who, you know, fly through pregnancy, Mm. have births and and are really going well, you Mm. know, Uh, and yeah, maybe we, you know, we've talked about <laughs> no, no, I some think of the things that have ha- happen, it can happen yeah. in the pregnancy, but I think it's information is good and information mm. is important as long as we're not fearful of that mm. information mm. And, that, and and we take on board and we're aware that this that this happens um, mm. and then what to do about it afterwards. Um, but even mm. if you have not had an injury, there's still a process that you go mm. through when you're recovering after a birth um, because your body's gone through a big thing. So, you know, even if nothing has happened, you're mm. still taking that process nice and steady and you're following guidance on that because um, you don't want to push too soon <laughs> and get back and then and then have, have mm. you know, a knee injury or hip injury or, 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 mm. or something like that because we've gone on a bit too quick. So, yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. And um, maybe that's something that we should cover now is that you know that process back to movement um, and exercise and what that can or could look like obviously I think there's a massive individual element to this and we are broadening our strokes here in the recommendations but in those first few weeks that you know let's say naught to six week mark what kind of things should we be doing in terms of movement um, and what can we possibly be yeah. doing no and actually um, Alicia's totally right in saying that that it's very individual, very individual, because it, it really depends on what you did before you're pregnant. It depends on what you were able to do in mm. the pregnancy itself, and it really depends on the type of birth that you've had, um, and all of those issues that we've talked around before. It depends on how you're feeling physically. It depends on how fatigued you are. It depends on how you're feeling mentally. It depends on mm. what support is available out there for you. You know, your partner, your family, you know, your friends. So many things impact this. Um, so when you're dealing with a new mum who's looking to exercise, it's like an iceberg. What mm. I can see <laughs> and what is going on underneath um, are, are, are really important. So. Um, you know all of those things uh, we consider when when I, when I see a new mum, and you know really acknowledging those things and that individual approach because um, you know we are all coming from different places and backgrounds, and so we we cannot give you one particular way of doing it. But in the naught to six weeks, it's fairly standardised, fairly standardised. So um, when you have had your bubba and you were coming out of that, well, massive shock, (laughs) blur, whatever has happened, um, 
you're just working it all out. You're working out getting to know your bubba. You're working at uh, breastfeeding. It's <laughs> a journey in itself. Um, you know, uh, you're working at when you can eat, uh, when you can sleep. You know, all of those things. So, so, so many things. How to actually change a nappy? How to bath a baby? Honestly, there's just there's <laughs> yeah. fluids, isn't there? There's spew. There's milk. There's blood. It's like, oh wow, everything, I am an absolute mess. Sweat. Oh my god, the night sweat. Yeah, everything. So again, completely normal. And uh, that's okay. So in those first uh, six weeks, and I, and I really try to encourage any, any women who have their babies to not come and see me before six weeks, because actually just let everything settle, mm. let everything calm down. But of course, there's no reason why you can't go out for a walk, pop Bubba in on, on the carrier or in the pram and go out for a walk, get some fresh air, go and have a coffee, mm. go and breathe in the you know the outside world. Um, <laughs> it's good to do. Um, there's no reason why you can't do a little bit of gentle stretching either. Just a little bit. Um, you may need a little bit of help with your scar if you've had a, a C-section. So there's a little bit around scar management. Um, and also if you have been checked in the hospital and you've got particular um, what we call separation or diastases you may need some support for your tummy muscles in those first few weeks um, but really that's it you, you do not want to be doing anything more than that and you certainly don't want to be running leaping jumping at that stage mm. you just just let the body calm down let it let it have its settling period let it heal often you've had stitches you know if you've had a, a perineal tear you have to let those settle um, and if you've had a C-section, you want to let that scar heal. Mm. And um, around six to eight weeks is normally that, that kind of scar healing stage. And can you start pelvic floor exercises from the moment after yes. or like how soon so after? So glad you brought yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah, so you can absolutely start from day one after having your baby. Um, and the guideline is really easy to remember, which I love, is that you, you, you draw on your pelvic floor, you hold for the, for the week old of your baby. So the first week, one second, mm. second week, two seconds, oh, third week, three. That's great. And so by the time you get to six weeks, uh, you may or may not be holding for about five or six seconds. So I think in that muddled baby mm. brain, that's actually something you can do. And, and I always try and recommend that you do it when you're feeding because um, you're a bit of a captured market mm. when you feed. So just you know, 10, 10 lots of contractions, depending on baby's age, uh, each time you feed and you're, you're going to get a little bit of work on that pelvic floor. Whoever made those guidelines has had a baby. Yes, I think sometimes when you read guidelines, you're like, have you actually been pregnant or had a baby? Yeah. <laughs> So that's good. So, yeah, so pretty simple. First six weeks is pretty simple. That's Um, really great. And then we get into the post six Mm, weeks. And that, that I guess, you know, six weeks is banded around as a bit of a magic number. I was going to mention that to you, Becky, because that was, I think, part of my issue. I honestly thought, and I waited out that six weeks Mm. and was like, well, I can now run. Yeah. Like it was just this, well, everyone else runs after six weeks. And that's what I, that's what the number I've got in my head. And so off I went and I started running and I was like, Ooh, that doesn't feel right no. and I ignored it <laughs> and I kept ignoring it yeah. and thought well this just must be normal yeah but what I found out was it's common but not normal mm. yeah so, so I'm glad you said that too because it definitely I think six weeks comes from from the stitching healing mm. that, that, that's that makes sense from. yeah and, yeah and medically that's what we mm. are given six weeks mm. but it, that stitches that is not a whole body yeah um, and I think um, realistically we have to know that you know at six weeks some women are not going to be there they're going to take eight nine ten eleven weeks you know that's okay um, but uh, six weeks is is the kind of mark where you can roughly start to begin to do a little something more formal mm. um, so it's not just out for a walk so um, we do not have great evidence around this and I need mm. to be super clear around that we, That's interesting. we don't have great evidence so anybody who's looking to do a PhD <laughs> would like that um, sounds like you Becky <laughs> oh no no I didn't finish my masters yeah <laughs> um so uh, so roughly around your six weeks, mm. you're beginning to introduce um, a little bit of low-impact cardio walking. You, can, you can, it can get into the water if you've stopped bleeding, and you can get into the water if your C-section scar is healed. Um, you might uh, want to go into a static bike and do a little bit of biking, but we're not talking, you know, interval sessions and, you know, go crazy. It's just getting the body moving. You can start to do a little bit of low load strength training. Again, not high level heavy stuff. 
um, a little bit of Pilates and yoga um, and definitely progressing your, your pelvic floor. And it's this time where I would fully recommend that you see a, a women's health professional at this stage to get a guide of where you're at with your body and what the progression is going to be for you as an individual and everybody's going to be different and um, so that's that kind of time so roughly six eight ten weeks whenever you feel ready um, to, to then go and see somebody and get that guidance um, because it's super super helpful to, to have a little bit of a path to follow it's super helpful to get the reassurance that you're in the right place and you're doing the right stuff um, and you know if, especially if you have competed at a high level you've probably all had coaches mm -hmm. and, and trainers and actually to have that guidance it, 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 it feels psychologically safe yeah. and you can follow that uh, well um, and would you recommend that Becky um, say someone's like oh I don't have any symptoms I've recovered really well can there be underlying things there even if you're asymptomatic or no yeah and I, and I, I think mm. it's a great thing a great question to ask because I think we don't know what we don't know and mm. we also don't know what's happening internally mm. so again do not want to put the fear factor on anybody but just get checked just get checked it's you know even if it's just one visit and the physio says you are going well you can progress slowly you have that information you have that mm. um just you know seal to say yep yeah, i'm good i'm going well mm. and you don't need to you know uh, worry about too, too many things and i mm. certainly see many women who are going well um normally i'll, I'll see them probably around three times um just to make sure that their progression isn't overcooked or or, or they're not uh, progressing in the right, right way but certainly you know by six months if they're managing well yeah they can go mm. up uh, onto you know back into their kind of normal kind of coaching training but it's not just about what's happened to you physically it is about that mental load as well and again that iceberg of what you know what you can see and what's going on underneath so um, having that kind of support for the women out there I, I think is huge and um, and you know this is information and, and new things that you've never experienced as a woman mm -hmm. especially with your first baby mm -hmm. um, so I think it's it's great to, to find somebody that you trust that you know that will support and look after you and you know great example that Alicia gave about you know she wanted to get back into exercise at three weeks I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa after her third um, but also what her experience was with her first and you know mm. again working through that so mm. um, I think uh, you know if, if you're you know obviously for some people living very rurally that's a little bit more tricky mm. um, uh, but hopefully now with the uh, introduction of zoom and things like that yeah. maybe we can we can use that technology and people can mm. access so what's really really exciting in, in Australia is that um, there has been a petition that's gone up to the government around postnatal care for women um, with the view that hopefully through Medicare we can get these sessions as standard mm. for women. There's a stack of care that goes on in the antenatal stage, but there's nothing afterwards unless you pay privately. Mm. So, um, yeah, so obviously that's not going to happen mm. in the next year or so, but maybe in the next five years we see a change and we see some Medicare rebate available for women in that postnatal stage mm. regardless of what their experience they can get checked that'd be great yeah that yeah. would be amazing and i've seen some um posts that you've done on updates on that which is very very exciting mm. one thing I, I think we've probably missed just in our conversation is obviously um the tearing and the pelvic floor but not necessarily talking directly to incontinence and oh. just even exploring fecal incontinence versus urinary incontinence and the yeah. difference there and also what um can help yeah, yeah. That. And what's normal, common, I guess, is very, <laughs> you know, yeah. aligned. Yeah. So in the pregnancy itself, um, it is very normal to want to go to the loo a lot. Mm. <laughs> Essentially, your baby is sitting right on top of your bladder, squashing the bladder. Mm. And so the capacity for the bladder to, to fill is, is decreased. And so we have the urgency to go a lot more frequently. Mm. And there may be a little bit of leakage with that because we're essentially on a full bladder. That is considered normal um, in to the end stage of the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Now, postnatally is different. Um, so you may get a little bit of leakage in your first week or two, 
But after that, if you are having any passive leakage or any incontinence issue, that is not normal and you need to see somebody to, to address that. Um, and pelvic floor um, exercise is the number one, level one evidence, can't stress that highly enough, level one evidence. Level one's the highest. Yes, yeah. level yeah, yeah. one. It's like peak, uh, of the, peak of the pyramid. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, number one evidence um, that pelvic floor exercise is the first point of call for anybody with incontinence. Mm. So again, you know, um, this is uh, obviously urine incontinence we're talking about. Um, fecally, um, it's the same. So pelvic floor exercise for fecal incontinence, um, and fecal incontinence is a, is is obviously a, a lot more traumatic and a lot more um, of of a worry um, in, in that postnatal period. So if you're having any issue around um, issue from the bowel, you see somebody very early on. Um, mm. Now, if you're a if you're a high level athlete, or if you're an athlete that has has done a lot of running, a lot of gymnastics, um, a lot of landing sports, um, the the risk in your normal life, this is pre pregnancy mm. life, is is high anyway for incontinence. Um, so the figures here are, I think this is a bit of a staggering number. Athletes are 177 percent higher risk of presenting with urinary incontinence quite a big number yeah. so if you have had experience of incontinence pre-baby pre-pregnancy you are at a little bit of higher risk postnatally and again get mm. yourself in to see somebody to see a professional around how to manage that and how to return to your sport and be leakage free it's mm. important that's a really nice segue to now kind of cover i guess being someone who is maybe more of an active individual or athlete because this population is of course someone who still wants to have babies and still wants to become a mum and I would love to hear what you've seen in the clinic kind of setting in your own experience I guess where we're at with the research and evidence in athlete and risk and if there is an increased risk and what we can all consider as active individuals as those next steps and maybe we start by defining what an athlete actually is when it comes to what we're going to talk about yeah and there is no definition and there Mm. should be yeah there should be a definition (laughs) and and i think um you know we all uh we know if you're a pro athlete that's we go oh that's an athlete Mm, mm. but if we are an individual who is an age grouper or a high level runner um, but still has a job Mm. sometimes i don't know if we always consider ourselves as athletes but we are and if you you know in my definition i don't know there is one um if you are exercising you know four to five times a week and you're you're doing high level stuff you're doing you know gym work and running and triathlon work and, mm-hmm. and crossfit stuff you're an athlete the, the, you know that in my head and so um the the process around uh re- returning to sport is for you uh, you know you have to look a little bit about a little bit more into detail about how that's going to work um you know for your training so mm-hmm. just to kind of clarify you're wanting to know now around what those athletes are doing at like kind of post three months or what was the uh i guess i'd love to know first of all birthing as an athlete and if there is a higher risk of any of the complications um and and it may or may not be or we may not even know um and then kind of going from there about i guess the considerations of how we might treat birth and mentally (laughs) Um, yeah yeah yeah. so um now again, we don't have much research around this at mm. all, and actually, I don't it's even think huh? there is any research mm. around if you are a higher level athlete. Bearing in mind our definition around athlete, yes. um, are you more likely? Are you more at risk of having these injuries in your birthing process? Um, now this is kind of where I might take my PhD. I don't know. <laughs> oh, she's got. She said it here first, guys. She's going to do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd love to be part of yeah. somebody else's PhD. Yeah, good one. Around <laughs> finding out whether or not women who are high-level sports ladies mm. um, do they are they more at risk of an injury? Now, in my clinical experience, and bearing in mind this is you know. Yeah, small group. Small yeah, group. Yeah. Clinical yeah. experience. Those women who tend to have. That, that higher level sport tend to be the women who have uh, more risk of injury. Mm. And that could be a whole host of reasons. Is it because they are a little bit older, having their babies? 
um, and maybe that tissue is less compliant and flexible could be because they've been playing a lot of sport or doing a lot of sport is it because they have really really good strong pelvic floor very very strong core and maybe that birthing process is that little bit more tricky there's a little bit more risk around that I don't know and it could be nothing to do with that it could be a genetic thing and just the genetics of who we are and how we birth mm. but I certainly think I hope I don't know, maybe in the next 10 years, we have a better way of working out who might be a little bit more at risk mm. or not. Mm. Um, some kind of screening process would be great. Mm. Um, but that is not to say if you're a high, if you're an athlete that you're going to have an injury. That is not true. That is, you know. Mm. But I don't know if there's more of a risk around that or, or not. Mm. I have seen it more clinically that there tends to be a little bit more injury. Mm. But that's for a vast number of reasons. Mm. Um, and that can be very confronting and yeah. it can be tricky in how you um, recoup after that. Um, and certainly um, what that means for you and your sport and what that means for you and your training um, and, and getting back into mm. what you love to do. Um, I think Lish has possibly said before around her her issue of not being able to run mm. Post Ruben, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how, and what that meant to you psychologically, and, mm. what, and what what that you know the impact of that, and how you were then thinking about a second pregnancy, and then you know mm. how you're going to look at that birth process in the second pregnancy. Mm. So I just have to strongly say there is no research around this that you know that's strong to say either way or not uh, around. An, an mm. athlete birthing um, mm. but I think what's really really important we'll come back always to being informed mm. knowing that these things can happen to our body um, being uh, looking after our body through that pregnancy looking mm. after our body in the birth itself and then what how we look after ourselves afterwards mm. um, and if we have that information on board and we're not scared of it we can be empowered and strong and use that for the for, for the you know for the greater good to to recuperate well and recover well absolutely I think for me you know I I remember many sessions with you Becky where I did have tears um it's a really emotional conversation I you know you go from being quite a high performer you love exercise it's part of your identity um so to have some of that identity taken away at the same time where most of other your other identities are taken away as well as you become a new mom it's um a really big thing that I couldn't necessarily grasp onto who I was or who I was even going to be if the thing that I knew was known as in terms of the triathlete or the runner was actually not even feasible anymore. Um, And you said, you know, in terms of like the prolapse history, it's like, well, we can't actually reverse prolapse. And it was just like this thing. I was like, wow, that is such a big thing to take on. Because I think as humans and type A fixers, we are fixers to hear that it's not necessarily fixable, but there are ways to reduce symptoms and manage was a really big thing to, um, you know, to play a part. And, you know, as I said, we're five years old now and I'm only just starting to be able to really talk about it in a way where I'm not breaking down completely <laughs> into tears because um, it is just such a big path. And I think, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to make sure that everyone feels open to seeing a women's health physio, feeling empowered to know that that option is there, um, to know that it's a very safe option uh, and an empowering one. It's not It's not something to fear or be concerned by. It actually adds a lot of information and security and direction forward. Um, and as I said um, from the very start when I was doing this podcast, it's something that I wish I did sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, you have absolutely changed my life in a very positive way. So many Pilates sessions where I was swearing at you, but... <laughs> well worth it um and i'm now in a place where i am able to do little runs and i'm doing some strength stuff and seeing i guess hope i think is probably the big piece there because yeah yeah, the recovery is big and i think the biggest part is it's not necessarily an injury where anyone else wants to talk to you about it yeah uh it's not like you've hurt your foot or um you know you're recovering from a shoulder injury it's not something you want to necessarily shout to the rooftops and it can be an invisible injury if you like um and one which is filled with a bit of embarrassment and shame and um that's definitely been a really big journey but i guess if anyone in this podcast has heard this and resonates or um hears themselves and wants to go and get support and um 
you know, is feeling a little bit confused, what we will do is put um, Becky's um, website in the podcast notes and make sure that you've got that pathway. But also um, how can, you know, obviously with the internal exams and seeing someone in person is definitely probably a great option here Mm. for a lot of people if it's Mm. possible. Mm. How can they go about seeing a women's health physio or finding one Mm. that's right for them? Yeah, um, and I think, I mean, if you live in the metropolitan areas, um, if you're Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Mm. Perth, Adelaide, there are really great options available. Mm. Um, And a lot of those centres will have multiple um, health professionals working in this area. Um, smaller cities uh, also there'll be you know maybe two or three people working mm. um, uh, and you know you may just have to use good old Google uh, mm. to go and have a look you may speak to your obstetrician or gynae who's looked after you midwives are also a good source of information post talk to your girlfriends mm. because you'll be amazed how many people have mm. actually been through the same thing talk to your girlfriends and ask did anybody else need to see somebody um, about any of these mm. issues um, because that's a great source of information mm. um, and whether or not they were you know what you wanted um, what they wanted mm. as well so um, uh, there are there are more of us coming through there are <laughs> more people training in, in this area um, uh, but if you are rural and you, and you you feel like you don't have that contact one of the good things about COVID mm. is that we've got a lot more au fait with using Zoom and even through Zoom, and I did a lot of um, Zoom contact stuff when we were all closed down, even that can be that great space mm. to chat about stuff and to see how somebody's doing with maybe the view for them to actually go and find somebody for that assessment, mm. um, which is an option too. So yeah, use your medical professional people that you know, mm or your girlfriend's great source of information and and if in doubt google yeah i'm so glad you brought up that rural thing because to be fair that's one of the biggest reasons why i didn't see you sooner i was living in a rural town at the time access was just the thought of even traveling you know two to three hours to see someone with a newborn was just immense enough already and so i just put it off it wasn't accessible and it was just like oh well I, I don't I'm in a small country town this doesn't exist here um and it wasn't until I moved to Newcastle mm-hmm. that I was like okay now I need to see Be- Becky yeah. probably should have seen her 18 months ago but here I am <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. a great point mm. though Alicia it's never too mm. late oh, it's good one. Yeah. never too late because mm. even if you've been dealing with the symptoms for six months a year mm. it's never too late to see somebody and to get some help mm. and to start you back on a on a on a journey that you know in, in order to allow you to do the things that you love to do, um, to live the life that you want to live without fear or worry or concern about the symptoms, mm. um, and that you're not, you know, you're going to be on that good path. So mm. I think, um, yeah, never too late. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah, <laughs> got there yeah. in the end. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Becky, for joining us. What an absolute pleasure, and thank you for all your information and your honesty and. Of course, your insights that are always filled with real advice that's very pragmatic and empathetic all at the same time. So I really appreciate your time today and I'm sure many people listening along will have um, learned a lot. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and again, you know, for your honesty, Alicia, we'll be here for your story. And I'm sure your, your listeners know that from you. So, um, yeah. So everybody out there, uh, if they're... If, at least she's going to put the information mm-hmm. out on the, on the website. Um, I'm very happy to chat to anybody on the phone or through Zoom or an email, whatever. How do you do all your beautiful pictures on Zoom, Becky? Because you're such a good drawer when you're in clinic. <laughs> I can show them up. Yeah, yeah. Show them up to the so, yeah, I'm not a good drawer. That is a but effective, know. effective drawer. <laughs> it yeah. definitely helps because I think it is. Yeah, it's such I a was space kind of drawing note. as we talked. You were, so yeah, very good podcast. <laughs> thank you so much, oh, Becky. Thank you, thank you. and awesome. thank you everyone for listening. Any questions, of course, um, reach out to Becky or myself, and I'll make sure they go to the right place. Uh, and we hope that you have an incredible pregnancy, or if you have had a bub, I hope that you are having an okay time. And if you are not, I will also put um, some links up there on where to get support, both physically and mentally. Alrighty, cheers. Good stuff.